Welcome to New England Take, your weekly hangout with experts, policymakers, local business owners, and interesting people in New England. Check out the NewEnglandTake.com to listen to the podcast version of the show, and be sure to follow and share New England Take on Twitter and Facebook. This segment, we're welcoming Professor Leah Plunkett. She's the inaugural Assistant Dean for Learning Experience and Technology and Meyer Research Lecturer on Law at Harvard Law School. She's also the author of Sharon Hood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online. And Leah is someone I've known for several years now, so I'm excited to have her on the show for the first time for here on the New England Take. Thanks very much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, AJ. Thanks so much for having me. So freedom of speech is like one of the most important rights to Americans. And it's safe to say I'm one of those free speech absolutists that you hear about on the internet, now on radio, I guess, too. But (laughs) (laughs) so I was very interested when I heard about United States Supreme Court take up the case Mahane Area School District versus BL. Can you talk about what this case was centered around? The case was centered around a high school student, a cheerleader, to be more specific, who was very upset when she did not make the varsity squad. And she went on her personal cell phone and posted on her personal Snapchat some messages that were critical of the school and of the squad and of the decision, including the F word. And those Snapchat uh, posts were screenshotted and made their way eventually into the hands of school officials who suspended her from the squad. And the case went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, where just a couple of weeks ago, the court sided with the cheerleader, with BL, who was a minor at the time, saying that the school violated her free speech rights when they sanctioned her, when they punished her by suspending her from the squad for posting on Snapchat about the squad's decision. I mean, from the get-go, I mean, how do they, what was the rationale behind the school thinking they have any say over something that happened outside of school hours off of school property? You know, the school, and I don't want to completely put words in their mouth, of course, um, and they have extensive briefing on it, but my take, (laughs) not the New England take, my take on the school's position is that they see themselves as being in the business of teaching civility, of teaching citizenship, of teaching digital citizenship, and that this was a student who was engaged in critical and vulgar speech about the school's conduct. It was directed toward some other student her circle of friends, and it was somehow disruptive uh, of the school's functioning because it upset some of the other students who eventually saw it. I believe the students who were upset were not her actual circle of friends, but other students who eventually saw it. So the school would say, look, we're an educational institution. Our mission is to raise responsible, thoughtful citizens in the digital era. And this involved us because it was about us. Now, just I mean, I could understand personally, as someone who's been in higher ed my entire professional life, higher education where it's an optional thing where you don't you're there isn't this requirement that the K through 12 students have where if you're if you're signing an honor code or something like that because you want to attend a higher ed institution or a second post-secondary or anything like that. That makes sense to me. But the thing is with the K through 12 institutions, the students have no choice. They have to be there. So it kind of puts I don't it's really uh, seems extraordinarily intrusive to me. And you are right, AJ, that we are talking here about a public school 
And the U.S. Supreme Court took a very close look in this case at a prior case about 50 years before called Tinker. And Tinker, until this case, had been really the most recent leading U.S. Supreme Court free speech case for students in our public schools. And in Tinker, the court did say that the schools would have a special interest in regulating on-campus speech that, and I'm quoting now, materially disrupts classwork or involve substantial disorder or invasion of the rights of others. The court did say that these special characteristics don't always give, uh, don't always go away, excuse me, don't always go away if that speech takes place off campus. So for instance, if a student is off campus, even though they are off campus, if they are engaging in serious or severe bullying or harassment, or if they are breaking rules about academic honesty or things like that, then a school might have a legitimate interest in regulating the off-campus speech, even though it is still some regulation of student off-campus speech activities. In Mahoney, the court said those features of off-campus speech did not actually present themselves in this particular case. And so the court is leaving open the ability for public schools uh, who have you know K-12 students in them to engage in regulation of off-campus student speech as long as it rises to the level still of materially disrupting classwork or causing substantial disorder or invasion, which is a, a pretty high bar. How did the court rule specifically, I mean, across the different judges? Let's pull this up. That is always a good question. So Breyer delivered the opinion of the court, and we have Roberts, Alito, Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joining. Alito filed a concurrence, Gorsuch joined, and Thomas dissented. So if you look at that roster, AJ, that's a pretty strong bench. Yeah, I mean, that's almost unanimous. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was really heartened by this decision. I also am uh, a huge proponent of free speech rights. And I think that a the ability of a student in a public high school to use her own personal electronic device off campus to engage in what she thought was a private communication with a private circle of friends, if a school could regulate that as long as the communication did not involve anything threatening, harassing, or otherwise illegal, which this communication did not, if the Supreme Court had said a school could regulate that, then that would have really opened the floodgates for our public K-12 schools to say, hey, kids and teens across America, whatever you're texting to your friends, whatever you you know are potentially saying in a FaceTime call or whatever the kids are using these days, that is our business if you even mention the school. And that would have been a huge overreach. And I'm really glad that we see such a strong showing by the court of saying basically <laughs> to the school, like this was on her own device, on her own time, you know, with what she thought was a private circle of friends. She wasn't saying, hey, guys, I'm really mad at the school. Let's go graffiti the school or heaven forbid, let's commit violence against the school. She was angry about the school and critical of the school. And guess what? being able to show 
<laughs> your criticism and your anger, as long as it doesn't step over into bullying, harassing, threatening, et cetera. That's actually the heart of First Amendment speech is to be able to be critical of your government. And that's like a uh, talk about New England. I mean, that's a uh, I mean, if you can't whine about the things you got to do every day, I mean, day to day. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's it, it's entirely I mean, what kid doesn't go around whining about this and this at school or honestly having problems with a teacher or something? If they don't have that outlet, can you imagine the implications that could have? It, it would be severe. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's digitally communicated or a letter or anything. It, it seems like this especially would open up a lot of floodgates, even when it comes to non-digital communications. That is an excellent point. So now we can play, you know, the law professor's favorite game, the hypothetical, right? So let's say that our cheerleader, instead of putting it on Snapchat, was hanging out after school with her friends who were also students and was saying, you know, F the school, blah, blah, blah. And she was just kind of, you know, in a park or at, you know, a coffee shop. And she was overheard by some, by a parent in the community or a teacher or an administrator, right? Under this, the under the theory that the school was putting forward, um, absolutely the school would have had a, you know, an interest in regulating and in this case, actually sanctioning, <laughs> um, the, not just regulating in a neutral or positive way, but actually in a negative way, sanctioning her behavior. So you're right, it would have been vast overreach. And also to have it, if the court had come out the other way at the hopefully, knock on wood, end of a pandemic operating year where so many of our schools, um, you know, my, my best understanding, I did some research on this, my best understanding is that all of the K-12 public school districts in the country were remote last spring. There was, you know, reopening was different and spotty once we got to the fall. But last spring, there was a time when, again, as far as I can tell, every public school student in the country was engaged in some form of remote learning. And so, you know, imagine then the another hypothetical, imagine the high school student who was doing, you know, remote school last spring, didn't realize they were leaving, you know, their video on, the classroom was being recorded and, you know, went on we can imagine just an internal monologue. Maybe they didn't even think they were talking to anyone or maybe they, I don't know, held up their diary accidentally and someone recorded it. It just would have been, especially in our, our digital times, this to come out the other way would have been such a significant overreach, um, would have been really punitive for students. And also, AJ, not a great way to educate um, future voters in a democracy, right? So yeah, is, is F this the most constructive thing to say? No, but do we want to be raising future voters who don't think that they can be critical of their government? I don't think we do. Yeah, definitely. And there, there's much further uh, from, the from the technology side of the house when it comes to the implications of this. I mean, um, there's a certain level of privacy that's definitely expected and with uh, your your digital device and speaking on closed password protected ecosystems, uh, it'd be really it'd be a very far reach for schools to really think they would be able to effectively uh, rule over anything that students do in those situations. It would be, and I think you know. So building on that, two concerns. So let's take the school that thinks that they could do this, right? The school that wants to play digital cop. 
I really think a couple of things would happen. One would be, it would be extraordinarily selectively enforced because it would just right. be those kids, right. Who was like unlucky enough to be caught. in yeah, it. This is literally no other way. Someone would right. have to leak it or someone, someone would have to snitch ultimately. Someone would have to snitch, or I will say something else that could happen. And there are products out there that, that do some version of this. Um, you know, the school would have to be putting resources into coming up with, um, you know, using essentially surveillance tools. And there are you tools already. NSAs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I, you know, I, I say this um, descriptively, I do not recommend it. I'm not a proponent of these tools, but um, you know, there's, there's already a push toward, you know, social media and other forms of monitoring. And, um, you know, if the school wanted to do this, it would just kind of be building up, I would almost say like a privacy invading arms race to creating, you know, more markets for for doing that. So I, I do think the Supreme Court was right here to say that this was an overreach on the school's part. Do you think this is going to be opening up some more cases to be uh, brought up to various uh, states that, there's been instances in the past couple of years, especially through COVID, where uh, school districts got more intrusive than they maybe should have, especially with this precedent now being set. I hope that there is. I When I was at New Hampshire Legal Assistance uh, years ago before becoming an academic, I founded a program that still exists called the Youth Law Project, and I represented kids and teens in school discipline and special education cases in public schools across our state. And I have to say, I found a lot of the charges that were being brought against my clients, which were not always at all, you know, free speech, but a lot of them were, I thought, overreaching. And it's really hard though, because there are not a lot of attorneys doing this work. Very often, um, kids who are getting in trouble may not have parents or guardians who can stick up for them, or they have parents or guardians who try, but kind of just basically want to make the situation go away. So I or hope- just straight up don't understand. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And also sometimes it's hard to understand, particularly with the use of school resource officers across our state. Mm. It can be hard to know, even as an adult, you know, parent or guardian coming into the situation is the person trying to deal with your child, a teacher, an administrator, or are they a member of the local police force or a nearby police force that is actually in there, not just as a government official, but as a law enforcement official, in which case, if your kiddo is kind of thinking that they're going to come clean and, and fess up to the school resource officer about whatever's been going on because they don't want to get in any more trouble, that could have really serious and long-lasting consequences for them. So I, I hope that um, students, parents, guardians, attorneys, and advocates make uh, good trouble <laughs> based on, on this ruling because I think there's a lot of room to make some good trouble when it comes to sticking up for student free speech and with it, privacy, friendship, and becoming future voters in a democracy. And it really takes takes a uh, takes lawsuits like this, I think, to really make these sorts of changes happen because I I mean the school districts are basically figuring it out as they go, especially over the last 20 years with technology blowing up in everyone's faces going, oh, no, there's Facebook in every single, like, I graduated from high school. It's like, oh, Facebook is now, like, 
it just getting into the non-college realm at that point. And to now have these computers in every single classroom now, whether it's an iPad or Chromebook or literally a Mac or PC, the students now in the classroom have access to the whole world. And that's just something that they didn't grow up as teachers, and now they starting are. But a lot of the teachers and administrators didn't grow up with this technology. Now they got to figure out what to do with this and the bullying implications and uh, the cheating implications and all sorts of things like that. It is absolutely a building the plane as it's being flown situation. And I think that, you know, I, I've talked to some people about this case and read some commentary that's basically said, you know, that it seems kind of ridiculous or even sad that, you know, the biggest student free speech case before the U.S. Supreme Court in a couple of generations, actually, is about a disgruntled high school student saying F you to their school on a cell phone. I actually think it makes perfect sense. I think that this case actually is a parad, you know, sort of it fits our new paradigm of what it means for kids growing up in this digital world to express themselves. And in some ways it looks very different than, you know, the the tinker era of case where we're talking about anti-war protests and holding signs and wearing arm, you know, armbands and so on. But in other ways, even though the the issues in our you know society right now are different you know, than the Vietnam war and the mode of expression is more likely to be, you know, a post online rather than a, you know, wearing an armband, although not necessarily, it's still the same basic struggle that we saw in Tinker, which is what ability do students in our public schools have to go into the school building and say some version of F this or F that. And the Supreme Court is quite clear, as long as it is not disrupting the school in a substantial way or crossing over into being threatening or harassing or otherwise illegal, then guess what? You know, this is <laughs> this is a democracy and these, you know, the core to democracy is the ability for people who live in it of all ages to say F you about or to all forms of their government as long and as they don't, you know, take that to the next level of then, um, you know, act disrupting things so that they can't function. You wrote an article for the keynote curators that made the comparison to the breakfast club, like having the opportunity yeah. to, to say F you is universal, regardless of the generation. It's totally true. And I actually think one thing that schools would be very well served to do is try to figure out how to engage in those you know, FU conversations, right? Not that you yeah. can come forward as a teacher and be like, all right, kids, today we're going to have a masterclass on how to swear online. Um, but actually like, although it'd be kind of an interesting class, but, um, but actually trying to create spaces where you are encouraging kids and teens to be real and to connect and um, to kind of have that space. So yes, I am. I, uh, I think the breakfast club transcends generations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Professor, author, Leah Plunkett, where can people check out more from you? Thank you so much, AJ. My author website, leahplunkett.com has links to a bunch of interviews and things I've written and links out to my book, Sharon Hood from MIT press. There's an open access version online and I hope people will stay in touch. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was awesome. We'll definitely have you back on in the future. And uh, you're listening to New England Take. Be sure to check out the newenglandtake.com to get the podcast feed and follow our social media. Thank you so much.